So here we go. Uh, this is a sermon I preached on the second Sunday after Christmas, uh, January 3rd, 2021. Um, and I'm releasing it later in the week. Uh, and obviously a lot has happened this week. Uh, the events of, of January 6th uh, loom large uh, over everything, including our engagement with scripture and um, sermons and one another. Um, the reality is that on the 6th, uh, a, a mob of white supremacist domestic terrorists stormed the Capitol building, uh, and they did so at the urging of the defeated incumbent uh, and his henchmen. Um, this is the reality that we live in, and um, I think it is natural and right uh, to be hopeful uh, for a change in administration, a removal of uh, a man who has stoked um, the anger and the fears of white supremacists and supported them. Uh, we love you and you're very special, is what he said to them on the 6th. Um, so uh, as uh, I look back through the sermon and the words of uh, the author of the Gospel of John, uh, I am uh, in particular uh, drawn to the way that um, that hope and that light uh, is, uh, is found uh, here present with us because of what God did in Jesus, because of the incarnation and because of God's presence here on earth. We know that we have hope um, and that God's grace uh, is given to us uh, and that God came directly to us. Um, we need not only hope in what is to come, uh, although we can hope in what is to come. We can hope both in what God will do and also in a change of administration. <laughs> we can hope for those things uh, and we can find hope in those things, but we can also have hope in what God has already done uh, by coming to us uh, in the person of Jesus. All right, here we go. When I was an undergrad in college, more than 20 years ago now, yeah, actually that, that hurts a little bit to admit, 20 years, um, I attended a large gathering of Christian college students at a conference over winter break. I honestly don't remember too much uh, uh, from the conference itself, but I'll never forget what happened there on New Year's Eve, the last night of the conference. We were all gathered together in a large college basketball stadium, probably about 10,000 of us total, late at night for the final worship service of the conference. The timing of the service led me to believe that we would be finishing up right before midnight and then celebrating the new year together as a large group. Well, as the clock ticked closer and closer to midnight, I started to get the sense that we were going to run a little bit long. As midnight approached, we were right in the middle of an extended worship and prayer time that clearly wasn't ending anytime soon. Midnight was going to come and go without an acknowledgement from the team leading worship. As my discomfort began to rise, 
I looked around and noticed others looking restless too. And as the final minute ticked down towards midnight, we collectively and instinctually, we started our own countdown. Many thousands of us all together, right? 10, nine, eight. But then we were interrupted by the leadership team who actually paused the service to make a request that we hold off on our midnight New Year's Eve celebration out of respect for those who were still in quiet prayer. To be honest, I was flabbergasted. Not, not because I couldn't respect those who chose to pray their way through midnight on New Year's Eve, but because the leadership team didn't think that 10,000 college students on winter break away from home might want to celebrate at midnight on New Year's Eve, right? That, that somehow, because this was a gathering of Christians, we'd all just be okay skipping such an earthly human tradition, right? For something that they deemed more spiritual. This experience will forever stand out in my mind as a moment where I first recognized the tendency of faithful, well-intentioned believers, like the leadership team of that conference, and to be fair, like you and like me, our tendency to separate the human experience into categories. One is spiritual, divine, filled with the presence of God, and the other, earthly, human, less than. One category includes the parts of our world and our lives where we believe God lives and God exists. And the other, well, God just doesn't care about so much. And as we gather this morning, just days past our own really unique and, and pretty transformative New Year's Eve celebration, I am particularly drawn to the way that the gospel writer of today's text describes the incarnation, the moment where the divine presence of God met an earthly common experience, where God entered humanity, the word made flesh. This Christmas story in John points not only to the nativity, but also to the creator and to creation itself, to a new beginning. This poetic introduction to the Gospel of John is supposed to remind us of another poetic creation story, the one in Genesis. It's not really a casual reference either. John opens with the words, in the beginning, and these are the exact same words as the opening of Genesis. And when I say it's not a casual reference, I mean that it's heavy-handed, just like the opening of any Star Wars movie. Right? When you see the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there is no question in your mind what you're about to see, right? And so when we see in the beginning, we can know that John is retelling the creation story with the word revealed in flesh and blood in Jesus as the central figure, the creator as God's very self, and, and maybe we, just like in Star Wars, could benefit from some more heavy-handedness, right? Maybe some brass instruments blaring a familiar John Williams soundtrack that reminds us we are about to hear a creation story.
And in this creation story, at Christmas, in the birth of Jesus, we are drawn into this new creation, God's ongoing work that started all things, that led to the cross, to our salvation, to God's work, reconciling all things to God's self. We are invited into that new creation. And in the new creation, God did not order the cosmos from on high, far, far away, separating the divine from the human, the spiritual from the ordinary. No, God took on flesh and lives among God's own creation. There is not an unspiritual, less than, only human category of life, because Jesus, the Word made flesh, entered into it. There's a modern biblical translation called The Message, uh, and on occasion, this translation has helped me expand my imagination with familiar texts. And here, in this new creation story, this poetic description of the incarnation, the message says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What a wonderful, compelling way to break down this artificial barrier that we've created between God and our lived reality. God moved into the neighborhood. For me, it, it brings to mind ordinary things like block parties, like digging each other's cars out of the snow, like sharing meals after trauma and losses, and celebrating milestones together like New Year's Eve. The true light, the light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world and it moved into your ordinary, regular, everyday neighborhood. This is especially helpful for me this year because we know quite well that Jesus's birth didn't magically solve all of the world's problems. There is still pain, suffering, grief, and death. The last nine months have included so much grief that we even collectively and culturally joke about the horrors of 2020 a little bit, don't we? But the pain, isolation, injustice, and grief of the last year is very, very real for many of us. And the word made flesh, God's move into the neighborhood, means that the light of life shines in the very location of your suffering. And the emptiness and suffering does not overcome the light. This light metaphor is another callback to Genesis. There, God speaks the light into existence. And here, the word becomes flesh and is the light itself. Jesus is the light of life, hope, grace, and truth shining in the lived reality of our very ordinary human neighborhood. So what does it mean that God's light shines in the very parts of our lives that we often deem unspiritual or less than or somehow void of God's presence? It means that we need not only look for light and for hope outside of our lived reality, for light from some magical faraway place, or 
for the light at the end of the tunnels of our struggles. That hope and joy and grace and truth are not only just out there, far, far away, but the light of life in God's amazing love, the embodied creator is here among us, lighting the way forward. And as we prepare for what looks like another grief-filled, deadly month of the pandemic ahead of us, and we continue to see state-sponsored racial injustice, poverty, isolation, and grief upon grief in our neighborhoods, may we trust that God's light of life, grace, and love is truly here with us already in this time and this place. May we believe that God's grace upon grace is not just reserved for that future time when things get better, or that the light is only at the end of the tunnel, but instead that the light is here with us now, shining a path forward. It is okay to celebrate at the end of a difficult year. It is right even to celebrate the hope of a new beginning, of a fresh start, of better things to come, of an approaching light at the end of the long and terrible tunnel. It, it is right. But because of what God has done for us in love through Jesus, both at the cross and in the incarnation, we already have a new beginning, a fresh start, and a light with us now. We need not only look for God in the mysterious, the spiritual, or the holy set apart. We find God in the ordinary, the daily, the everyday neighborhood stuff. And once we've adjusted our eyes to see the light that's here with us already, we can still get excited about the good things that are to come. But we're also freed to join with God in loving our neighbors and being those good things now, in becoming God's light of love for our neighbors. The light of life embodied in the person of Jesus is with us now. Amen. Mm -hmm.